Joining me today is the founder for Act for America, a New York Times bestselling author and author of the new book, Rise in Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom, Brigitte Gabriel. Welcome back to The Rubin Report. Thank you, Dave. I'm delighted to be back with you. I am delighted that you're here. First off, before we do anything else, I was going to wear the exact same shirt. <laughs> I love this shirt. It's a girly, girly shirt. That is a girly, girly <laughs> shirt. I love what's going on here. Okay. So I had you on about maybe a year and a half ago or so. You are the only person in the history of the Rubin Report that you caused a tear to, to formulate in my eye. I think you know exactly when it happened. Yeah. So before I even let you say anything, we're throwing to the clip. <laughs> we only take care of freedom and preserve it to the next generation. And I am doing my part as an American, as a brave American, in the home of the brave, to make sure I follow in the footsteps of our founding fathers and do my part as they entrusted me with that which they have created. I feel it is my duty to make sure to preserve it, to pass it to my children and their American children and many generations to come. That's why we fight. And I am so fortunate that through this fight, and it is a fight for freedom, for liberty, for democracy, for security, for human rights, I am privileged to meet the most amazing people that I would never otherwise meet, like sitting here with you today, uh, and meet friends that have become lifelong friends, literally like family to me, that I would never have otherwise met if it wasn't doing for what I do. So do I get depressed doing what I do, talking about terrorism and national security? Of course I do. I'm human like everybody. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I'm completely depressed over things that are happening. Sometimes I hurt deeply by people who stab me in the back or say bad things about me or even reading my Wikipedia profile. But what keeps me so energized is the American people and the American spirit knowing that we are making a difference. We are growing. We are changing our country. We are fighting. We have a purpose. So when you and I die on our deathbed, we can look back and we can say, I made a difference as we take our last breath. And that's enough for me. That is how you end an interview. I mean, that's it right there. That was, that was like your opus right there. Well, because I spoke from the heart. And when you speak from the heart, your message resonates with people. And this is exactly why people like you and me are having such traction with a lot of people who are saying, we love what you're saying. It's about time that somebody will say the things that you are saying. Our message is resonating. And you know why? People want something genuine and they can tell. You know, I, I always tell my children, the one thing you can never fake, love. You can never fake love. People, people can tell when you're genuine. And in a world that we live in today where everything is fake, everything is about social media and how things appear before the camera and, and, and what's in it for me and I'm going to be your friend because I'm going to get something out of it. When people like you and I put our life on the line because of the conviction that we have about the truth that we are speaking and why we are willing to go to great extent to just fight for that truth, it resonates with people. So I couldn't wait to be with you today. This is great. What a team. There's something to be said for sleeping like a baby, especially when you don't. You might have trouble falling asleep or wake up sore and achy or hot and sweaty. But what would you do to sleep like a baby? 
get the purple mattress. It's totally comfortable and it stays nice and cool at night. It's different than anything you've ever felt before and you'll get the best sleep you've ever had. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've gotta try a purple mattress. The purple material feels unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable so it sleeps cool. You're gonna love purple and right now my listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts that they're offering site-wide. Just text Ruben to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text Ruben to 474747. That's Ruben, R-U-B-I-N to 474747. Message and data rates may apply. And now back to the show. No, I'm, I'm thrilled <laughs> you're back. Were you, did you always have this kind of passion? I mean, when you were on last time, we told, or you told, your, your whole life story, which is absolutely fascinating. If you want to give me just like a, a two-minute recap, and we'll link to it down below so people can watch the whole thing if they haven't. So if you want to give me a little recap on that. But I also want to know where you're, that, that smile, that joy, that presence, where does that come from within you, and did you always have that? I love life. And I am so passionate about life is because I lived from the age of 10 till the age of 20 waiting to die every single day. So every single day in my formulative years, when I opened my eyes and I saw sunshine outside, I didn't know if I'm going to live to see the sunset. So living in a bomb shelter, you know, people ask me where this passion comes from. My 9-11 happened to me in 1975 when radical Islamists blew up my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble wounded. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months. And later when I came back home, my home was no longer the home I left. I ended up living in this bomb shelter, eight by 10 room underground, no electricity, no water, and very little food. And that's where I lived for seven years of my life, robbed of my youth barely interacting with people, barely interacting with people my age. I lived with my parents who were an elderly couple in that bomb shelter. So all this uh, 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 cooped up passion. Now I tell people I'm making up for last time. So <laughs> really I love are. life. I'm so grateful for life. I'm so grateful for the people I meet, the places I go. I never thought I'd live a day beyond 20. And then I never thought I'd live a day beyond 30. And here I am living life. I just turned 54 years old. I'm so proud to make it. Looking See, good, someone, thank you, thank you. <laughs> when, when you have survived as long as I have survived, you brag about, I made it to this day uh, at this age. So this is why I love life. So we're gonna to link to your, our original sit down and your whole story about growing up in Lebanon and all that so people can watch that if they haven't seen it. Um, but not everybody likes you. And I remember before I had you on the first time, uh, you know, when people Google you and you even reference this in, in that clip, we're talking about, you know, if you check your Wikipedia or something, people say all sorts of awful things about you and all this. And I was a little worried. I was like, ah, it's like I'm gonna have Brigitte on and I'm gonna get hate for it and all that. Now I'm really past that part of life now. I just wanna do what I think is right and I wanna sit down with, with people like you and, and have those conversations. Um, but are you shocked at the kind of pushback you get for defending the West and defending Judeo-Christian values? I am no longer shocked. I was in the beginning. I was very hurt, very disappointed. I thought my message, of course the West 
is going to resonate. It's going to resonate and the West people are going to appreciate why it's important to fight for freedom of speech. I was born and raised in Lebanon in a country where if you stand up against the status quo and you speak against the regime, you are killed. They come take you in the middle of the night, kill you, you'll disappear, you'll, they'll, you'll, they'll never hear from you again. I still have friends who disappeared 30 years ago. Their parents don't even know if they are alive or dead. Mm. Journalists in my country of birth in Lebanon get killed for writing the wrong thing. So when I came to the West and when I started speaking in defense of our freedoms and our values and our way of life and the American values of, of you know, standing up for the truth and speaking the truth without having to be worried about somebody killing you. I could not believe people will, will come against me like that. But you know what? If you don't stand for something, you know, uh, you have to stand up for what you believe. Those are the people that make a difference. And usually people that make a difference in this world are not popular. The most hated people in the world, look at Churchill. I mean, you know, when he was alive, yeah. you know, people hated him. They thought, oh, my gosh, you know, look at him today. People, people quote people that have spoken such words of wisdom, but people laughed at them when they were saying them. And so here we are today. We stand up and we fight. And it doesn't matter what people say about me. I do what, what I believe is right because I believe we are on a mission to save Western civilization, which is under attack right now. And I'm willing to do my part to make it happen. Is part of the problem of the West now is that we don't have enough stories like yours because we've had it pretty good in the West for the last, you know, 50 some odd years, certainly in the United States, we've had it pretty good here. So we've sort of gotten fat and lazy on freedom. We don't know what we're fighting for. We don't know what our, the generations before us lived through. You lived through something. So then you come here and then you see all these people that are slowly eroding their freedoms and you're like, whoa, I, I know what this, where this leads. Exactly. My past is America's future unless America wakes up today. See, I am the Anne Frank who lived to tell about it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if Anne Frank was alive and the Nazis were spreading worldwide and she just escaped the concentration camps and she came to the United States and Nazism started rising in the United States? She would be saying the same words that she said when she was alive. And with my, in my case, I started speaking after the attacks on 9-11 on the United States. I started speaking about the threat of radical Islam to world peace and our national security. But because Americans had it so easy, they cannot fathom that some people can hate us so much. Even though radical Islamic terrorists hijacked airplanes and used them as uh, human missiles, flying them into skyscrapers with the intention of killing not 3,000, but maybe 50,000 that worked in that building. You know, if they were late only 15 minutes, yeah. they would have killed tens of thousands of Americans. Um, and so this is what I was talking about. But Americans are such good people, people in the West who have never experienced the type of terrorism that I lived under cannot relate and think that somebody could be that bad, that actually that's their real intention uh, to kill as many people as possible. So how do you wake people up to that then? Because it's a really hard, because not everyone can have the lived experience that you've had. You don't have to wake all the people up. You just have to wake some of the people up. You just have to wake up the passionate. I, you know, in my book, Rise, I say 2% of the passionate will always rule the 98% indifferent. It doesn't take money to change the world. 
2% of the passionate will always rule the 98% indifferent. You just need to get people who are fired up for your cause. You need to get people who actually understand the problem and get the problem and want to do something to change the world. Those are the people you need to rally around you. Those are the people who are going to make a difference in this world. And those are the people that I, that I try to communicate with. And because of that, I was able to build an organization, Act for America. I'm proud to tell you that we are now over 1 million members. Yeah, One million. It's incredible. We have chapters nationwide. We have passed bills, 100 bills on the federal level as well as the state level to protect America. So when people tell me, don't you worry about the names. I mean, people call you names. You know, they, 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 they make you look bad. They, They're on a list. The SLPC, SPLC. The SPLC got you on a list. calls me a white supremacist. Yeah, how do you, you like how do you like those white supremacist lips and that white supremacist skin and, and this white supremacist hair? Um, but I tell people, when people slap labels on you, it's because they cannot argue with your facts. That's why the only thing they can do is call you names. They cannot debate you on the facts. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, don't worry about the labels and don't worry about the haters. The New York Times in my last book, They Must Be Stopped. The book came out in September of 2008. The New York Times interviewed me. And they couldn't find one quote in my article. So what did they do? They titled the article, Radical Islamophobe. Not just an Islamophobe, I am a radical Islamophobe. Can you imagine if I would have let that stop me because mm -hmm. I was hurt that somebody didn't like me and they called me a radical Islamophobe? Instead of hiding under a table, you know, trying to kind of pat my emotions, I went there and continued doing exactly what I do best. Since 2008 till today, my organization has helped pass 100 bills. And that's why I tell people, don't let the naysayers and those who slap labels on you stop you. Keep on moving forward. What do you make of these leftist organizations, whether it's SPLC or the ADL or now in the media, the New York Times, that are actually empowering the very ideologies that would love to take away all of their freedoms. And in this way, I mean, it's you've got the sort of, you've got the progressives basically in bed with the Islamists. And to me, it's like they're just sort of willful idiots or there's probably some other pejoratives I could use there. Exactly. You know, in my book, Rise, I have a whole chapter titled The Leftist Islamist Coalition yeah. because that's exactly what we are seeing right now coming together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So we are seeing two people that do not agree in, with anything that we say, do not believe in America's exceptionalism, do not believe that America should have strong borders, do not believe that we, not, we need to have a national identity. We need to, I mean, securing our border, meaning securing, protecting our national identity. They do not believe in borders. They do not believe in language. They want to bring America down to the to, on part to the rest of the world. You know, America is equal with Venezuela. No one is better than anybody. All societies are created equal. You and I, that even though people are created equal, in the eyes of God, societies are not created equal. And so what we are seeing right now is leftist organizations working with the Islamists. So you've got organizations like the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, Planned Parenthood, uh, MoveOn.org, working with people like Linda Sarsour, who is a devout Islamist, uh, a proponent of Sharia law, um, and working with people like her or with Care Council on American Islamic Relations. The ACLU is basically the legal arm of Care, the Council on American Islamic Relations. So do you think they realize what's going on? here, this is the part that I'm always sort of, because I don't like impugning people's motives, right? So it's like, do they realize 
that they're working with people who, once they have the power, will gladly cut them out. Right? No, I mean, they don't. Yeah, they just don't. They don't. Because people that work for the ACLU, people that work for uh, 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 different leftist organizations have good hearts. They love America. And they cannot believe that people could be bad or people could use them for their end goal. You know, when I talk about the Muslim Brotherhood Project, and you and I have talked yeah. about the Muslim Brotherhood Project yeah, in our previous interview, people you. need yeah. to go watch that yeah. interview we'll, we'll that well. with me. Yeah. Everybody watching us right now they need to go back and watch that previous yeah. interview um the muslim brotherhood wrote a plan a 100-year plan for radical islam to infiltrate and dominate the west and establish an islamic government on earth what makes the plan so unique especially the plan for the united states for the destruction of america the last page of the plan for america lists 29 front islamic organizations set up in the united states with the specific purpose of sabotaging america and destroying it from within many of these organizations that i mentioned isna islamic society of north america uh the msa muslim student association care which started as iap islamic association for palestine later became care because they wanted to create another name because the FBI was on their tail knowing that they are a Hamas front in the United States. Those are the names mentioned. So what we're seeing right now is people like the ACLU, MoveOn.org, the Southern Poverty Law Center are basically used as the useful idiots at the hands of an Islamist with an agenda. So while I am very upset at how the ADL or the SPLC or the ACLU is taking the side of Islamists against people like me, I'm not sure what they say about you, but not I know they hate things. my guts. Yeah, and so I see that, and it, it, it's, it's sad to realize that their good intentions are being used to do something bad at the end, but they don't realize it at this point. Meanwhile, they're working with the Islamists against people like me, who basically are trying to warn against the same people who are going to destroy them at the yeah. end. And that's why I frame the question that way, because I don't like attacking people's motives. And I believe right. that if we were to sit down with all of the people at the ACLU, that the vast majority of them are, are totally doing all of these things for what they believe to be the, the right reasons. The right reasons. And yet they've been just sort of tricked into having some really unholy alliances. Well, look, the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, the same thing. They started as a good organization, fighting the Ku Klux Klan, doing something good. That was their raison d'etre. They raised money, they fought the Ku Klux Klan, and look, the, the Ku Klux Klan deserves to be in a hole because we in America will never ever tolerate such true hatred. Mm -hmm. But for them right now to slap the label hate on anybody who speaks the truth or do not agree with their point of view. They don't know what my heart is. See, I never judge anybody's heart. I am the same way. You never know. People would ask me about uh, Barack Obama. Do you think he's a Muslim? You know, I cannot judge anybody's heart. I don't know who he prays for. I do not know what's between him and his God. It's between him and his God. That's what he does in the privacy of his own home, and I will never judge where he stands. And a lot of people on the right didn't even like me saying those words. Mm -hmm. But that's the truth. I will never judge what's in somebody's heart or what's in somebody's mind. I judge them by their actions. So now when people slap labels on me, oh, she's a hater. You don't even know me. You have never even sat down with me and talked with me. How can you slap a label, an emotional label, on somebody that you don't even know? If you're a hater, you're a seriously much better actress than hater, because you got me fooled, lady. 
I, I'm telling you, I mean, you know, it is so sad to see that coming from them and they're not listening to whatever explanation or even when we reach out to them, they don't want to talk to us. They don't want to hear our side of the, of the view. It's like they judged us in absentia and that is it. You know, speaking of judging in absentia, they are no better than the terrorists in Lebanon. You know, I went to Israel this year and uh, visited my parents' grave. I do not know if you know, my parents yeah. are buried with Oscar Schindler in Mount Zion. Yeah. And so this was the Can first time. Can you quickly tell people how you ended up in Israel after leaving Lebanon? Well, I left Lebanon. I ended up moving to Israel, becoming news anchor for World News and working in Jerusalem. Yeah. And when my parents died, I wanted to make sure that I buried them in Israel because I wanted to make sure that my children yet unborn will always know where my loyalty lies. And because I'm a firm believer that actions speak louder than words. So I wanted to make sure I honor my parents because I adore my parents. <clears throat> this is a very sensitive subject with me. Uh, I'm an only child. I worship my parents. I live every single day of my life doing everything I do to honor them and their legacy. And you know, speaking of hatred, some former employer did me wrong when I was 22 years old. And I remember sitting on my father's lap in his wheelchair, hugging him. I was crying. And I said, oh, daddy, I just hate them. I can't believe they did this to us. And my father said to me, he said, I never, ever want to hear that word coming out of your mouth. I never raised you to hate. And if for nothing else, because of the way I adore my father, hmm. at that day, at 22 years old, I vowed I will never hate somebody. My father died like two weeks later. I will never ever allow hate to enter my heart towards my enemies, towards anybody. I don't hate anybody. So when my parents died, I buried them in, in, in Jerusalem. They are buried with Oscar Schindler on Mount Zion, where actually later he was brought in and buried next to them. So this year I went back to Lebanon, uh, to Israel. And because I cannot go to Lebanon, Hezbollah wants me dead. So I go to Israel, I visit Israel, I meet with the IDF. I actually was the first Lebanese person to ever make it to the rooftop of the IDF headquarters in Tel Aviv. <laughs> and I recorded videos with the spokesperson of the IDF and with the top generals. We recorded videos to be broadcast to the United Nations, to the international community. Video to be broadcast to Lebanon about how, why we need to work together towards peace, why we need to love each other, Put hate aside, forget what you're told about the Jews. Israel doesn't want anything but peace with its neighbors. Let's work together on peace. And for that, Hezbollah aired that on Lebanese television. They charged me with treason. Now I am wanted dead in Lebanon and sentenced to death by hanging in absentia. So here we have a group of terrorists in my home country of Lebanon who judged me and who I am and I deserve to be sentenced to death by hanging because they did not agree with me preaching a message of love about being friends with the Jews. So here we have them calling me haters yeah. and yet I have the leftist in America, the Southern Poverty Law Center and these people calling me haters simply because I'm warning about the Islamic terrorist threat. All right, well, you've got too much good in you to focus on the haters, but I do have one other question about the haters and then we're gonna just put it behind us, which is when Majid Nawaz sued the Southern Poverty Law Center, now he's been removed from their anti-Muslim extremist list 
and you are on there still, as far as I know. Uh, is Ion still on there? I, I'm not sure. Actually, that li yeah, Ion is still uh, over there. You know me yeah. and Ion, of course. Are you kidding? Yeah. Um, well, Linda Sarsour also uh, wants your uh, yeah, well, wants my private parts removed. Yeah. Miss Woman's Feminist yeah. Movement, you know. Um, but th the world is turned upside down. So we are still on that list. Um, Did you consider a lawsuit or anything? Because see, I'm not generally for lawsuits in these cases. But it, Majid proved that if they've really wronged you and you can get the backing to get the lawyers to do it, that ultimately justice does prevail. We talk to our attorneys to sue them and it's going to cost a lot of money and they can drag it for years and years and years. They've got 90, 90 attorneys on staff. Well, we have to depend on the generosity of attorneys to do it pro bono. Yeah. They can drag it forever. Plus, because I'm a public person and the head of an organization, that will get us into discovery, which means they not only can subpoena me, which I don't say anything bad, I'm not worried, but they can go after my chapters and any communications our chapters have done with their friends. Now, our chapters are completely independent. Their members are completely independent. I don't even know who they are. Right. So if somebody sent a personal email to a third party mentioning any word about hate, which we are completely not responsible for because they don't speak about headquarters, they can say, see, we told you they've got people that hate. And so because I do not know three, four levels down, see, Najid doesn't have a national organization, definitely not with chapters and members the way we do. So he's only responsible for what he says. I can fight and defend what I say, mm -hmm. but I cannot fight and defend what people that I don't even know. Look, the SPLC went after us and they said, oh, we've got white supremacists, you know, who show up to our rallies. We had rallies on the side street corner. Yeah. Anybody can stand on the side street corner. You know, you cannot say that these members belong to my organization, yeah. but they do. And that's the tactic of the left right now. All right. Let's focus on the book. So the, the subtitle is In Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom. So just most simply, if someone said to you, what are Judeo-Christian values? What are they? What, what are the most fundamental Judeo-Christian values that we need to know? Well, Judeo-Christian values are the bedrock of Western civilization. They are the foundation of what we have today in America. And this is not a religious book. At all. Yeah. You read it. You endorsed it. Yeah. It's not a religious book. I got a little blurb what? in there. What? You got a little blurb in yeah. there. What are the most fundamental freedoms? I'll give you a perfect example. Freedom of speech. People don't realize where that freedom comes from. You know, in Israel, the Hasidic Jews, they debate the Bible. They, 24 hours a day, that's all they do. They debate the Bible. And where does that come from? The Bible says, come, let's reason together. Means let's debate ideas. I may not like your idea. You may not like mine. And we can have five other people who may look at the same verse completely differently. But the reason why we debate ideas is because we can learn from each other and better understand what statements mean, where the author who wrote that statement meant by it. We all know that God didn't write the Bible, people wrote the Bible. So part of our fundamental way of thinking, the freedom of speech, the ability to come together and debate ideas and passionately debate these ideas, yet agree to respectfully disagree and walk away, people don't realize that comes from the foundation of Judeo-Christian foundation. You know, even people who are not religious understand that's so uniquely Western. You know, they don't do that 
in, 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 in the Islamic world, for example. Mm -hmm. You don't debate ideas. Why? Because in the Quran, the Quran was written, it's the word of God, it's not debatable, it's not negotiable, you cannot look back, you cannot change verses. You don't even talk about it. You cannot even question it. Very different than the way we are. So when I write in the book about, and I actually I have a chapter titled uh, The Death of Free Speech, mm -hmm. where I talk about how we are losing our ability to speak the truth because then you're labeled, you're bigot, people are afraid. Am I going to be you know, blackmailed? Am I going to be boycotted? Am I going to lose my job? Um, and so it, it, we're silencing ourselves. And that's why I titled the book Rise, Rise in Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom because we're losing those freedoms, those American values before our very eyes. Are you watching this chip away more in Europe than in the United States right now for all our problems around this? And I agree, the bigger problem right now is that we're silencing ourselves rather than the government coming to silence us, although that could potentially be a problem in the future. I don't sense it's a huge problem right now. Europe has a whole other set of problems around free speech. Do you think that they're more suited to lose faster because they don't have a First Amendment the way we do? Oh yeah, they are far more advanced in losing their rights and their freedoms than we are. And they did it by self-censorship. You know, I landed in London, I was speaking in London in 2007. So I land in London, I'm uh, standing there waiting for my luggage with the um, uh, pilot and the hostesses. Uh, we were in a private section. And they said, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm just here for like three days. I'm giving a speech in Parliament. I was speaking to the uh, British Parliament. And they said, oh, what are you going to be talking about? And I said, the threat of radical Islam to world peace and national security. Uh -oh. And all of a sudden, silence for 30 seconds. You could hear a pin drop. No, they didn't know how to react or what to say. They were so afraid to react lest somebody hears something. The taxi driver, my driver picked me up to drive me to my hotel. And we were talking in the car and I told him, he asked me again, what are you doing here? And I said the same thing. He said, Brigitte, in 10 years, I believe we're gonna have blood on the streets of London by radical Islamists. We are at war. And it didn't even take 10 years. Within five years, we already started seeing stabbing on the streets of London and stuff like that. So in Europe, they are afraid to talk about it and they do not have the freedom of speech that we have. And that's why it is so important to defend the freedom of speech that we have. And God bless them, our founding fathers with their wisdom, they knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, look, remember, they came from Europe. Yeah. So when they wrote us, when they gave us the constitution and our bill of rights and all of that stuff, they knew exactly why they put some of these amendments in there. It's hard to find the right backpack, one that really meets your needs. You want something environmentally friendly, highly functional, and easy on the eyes. Datsusara creates high-quality, sustainable bags and clothing featuring hemp fabrics. Datsusara is not your typical hippie hemp bag. It comes with a three-year warranty, and it won't get nasty from sports use like a synthetic bag because the natural properties of hemp make the fabrics breathable. Datsusara is a Japanese term literally meaning to escape the salaried worker's life. But what the company really embraces is creating products that help you find your true path. Datsusara is a small business that truly cares about your path, free speech, and the pursuit of the best ideas to benefit all, which is why they support us here at the Rubin Report. Head over to dsgear.com and use the promo code Rubin for 10% off any order. That's dsgear.com and use the promo code Rubin for 10% off any order. And now back to the show. So, all right, so let's just put Europe aside. Since we're in the United States, they're going to have to deal with that. We'll deal with it here. Um, 
okay, we can get people to rise, but what else do we have to do to have a discussion about this that's going to stop the people that are going to use all of those labels? So I know, even in the book, you make a point of saying, of course, this is not all Muslims, and don't be bigoted towards Muslim people. We're talking about an ideology. A lot of people have been doing that for the last couple of years, tried to separate people from ideas and all that, and still get all the labels thrown at them. What, what are some of the other techniques we can use to talk about these things and, and not be crushed by, by all the labels? Don't stuff? waste your breath, sure. because there is nothing you can say at this point, no matter what you say, the enemy, the SPLC, the ADL, moveon.org, organizing for action, all the progressive organizations, they're not willing to listen to you. They don't want to listen to you. Look, we organized March Against Sharia, March for Human Rights last year, uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, and we had rallies in 29 cities in 21 states. And we timed it with the Pulse nightclub bombing in Florida, because it was June 10th. We wanted to shine a light about the hatred of this ideology against against gays, what they do to gays. I mean, look at the Pulse nightclub bombing. The, the people that organized our rallies in New York, it was organized and headed by two gay guys. The rally in Atlanta was headed by a Muslim man. We had an imam speaking in Seattle. We had Miriam Ibrahim, the Sudanese survivor, speak at our rally in Virginia Beach, as well as the Iranian Muslim leader of the Iranian movement, you know, to, 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 to move away from the mullahs. Yeah. Did you think any of the media covered any of that? All they did is show up on the street corner, say no hate, say no to hate, say no to hate. They didn't even bother yeah. understand what we were doing. So don't waste your breath. Right now people tell me, why are you speaking to the choir, Brigitte? We need to talk to other people. At this time, you need to mobilize the choir. Because when you need your house cleaned, it is the choir that shows up. It is the choir that brings you food when you're sick. It is the choir that mops the church or the temple when it needs cleaning. It's the choir that brings the flowers. And that's all that matters to keep your house up and keep it protected. And that's why right now, don't waste your breath on the labels. Make sure you fight, make sure you lobby your elected officials, make sure you understand the power of the gavel, why it is important to call your elected officials. You know, in my book, what makes this book so unique is at the end of every chapter, I have a section titled Rise Up and Act, yeah. where I give people ideas. So I want to do all that at the end. I want all, okay. your, I want all of your absolute advice on this. But, but you hit on something that I think is really interesting there, how the, there's a connection to all of this and the way the media reports. Yeah. You're right, that when they cover your events or when they cover a lot of the, the people that I'm friends with, that I have on the show, whatever they say, it's like they only focus on the haters. They only focus on that, the one little outsider that's that's doing something that's bad and not on all the good how how do you think this happened to the media or is there a way that it can be fixed or does it need to burn to the ground or what because the progressive media is not interested in dialogue they are interested in winning see we on the conservative side you know and it's such a shame i never thought of myself as yeah. a conservative i mean i don't know if i told you i voted for al gore i was a proud democrat <laughs> yeah. you know i'm a 9-11 you know conservative as they yeah. call us conservative uh but this is where we are in our nation right now they consider people like you conservative yeah. because you speak about you know important issues that are now known as oh that's what the conservatives talk about yeah you know so 
what we are seeing right now is the media is interested in winning while we are interested in having a dialogue how can we get through to them how can we speak with them you know and, and find a bridge where we can talk to them about that they're not interested in talking to us they're interesting in silencing our voices and the sooner we know that the better we are in fighting our battle and learning how to win our battle and you add to that funders like Soros you know in my book I have a whole section about Soros and him funding the media mm -hmm. Soros right now has spent... Doesn't that make you an anti-Semite if you talk about Soros? That's their new meme. I right? didn't even know he was Jewish <laughs> yeah. until about a year ago. Right, and everything you know. that he does is usually against Israel. And right, I mean, things, so the exactly. Yeah. The height of stupidity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know... I, you would think he sounds and talks like an anti-Semite, but it's more than me. Right. Remember, he is the one who worked with the doctors with the Nazis yeah. on, 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 um, and actually had a smile when people asked him, how did you feel about going in and working with the Nazis against your own people? He said, well, you know, somebody had to do it, so I know I didn't see any problem with it. You know, yeah, you're not making that up, by the way. No, no. I mean, I watched his interview because no. I was very interested on what makes this man the way he is. I study my enemies. Uh, I spend a lot of hours actually studying my enemies uh, to understand how they think, why, why do they behave, you know, trying to pick up on cues. So you look at somebody like George Soros, who is interested in transforming America into his vision of how the world should be. And he has the billions and he's willing to spend it. 43 billion has already been spent on the media, on Soros-funded media um, entities from uh, since 2002. And so when you look today at Soros' tentacles that extend to uh, 33 media outlets, including ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The Associated Press, which I detail in my book. Uh, even the, the, uh, to give you an example, which I talk in the book, uh, Columbia School of Journalism mm -hmm. gave them $600,000 to their journalism school because he wanted to impact the reporting on how reporters report on the media issues in the future. Hmm. So nobody was paying attention to this stuff. But this is exactly how we end up with reporters who are no longer reporters. They are activists with a national platform, media platform, who get on television every night and basically spew the same talking political points approved by Soros. And they all say the same thing, whether it's the Huffington Post, the New York Times, the Associated Press, Reuters, MSNBC, CNBC, ABC, the same buzzword. And it's all coordinated. How concerned are you that on the social media front where people like you have been able to make gains, you know, I'll see every now and again, you'll talk about, oh, I just suddenly lost 5,000 followers on Twitter or something like that, that we're fighting a losing battle on that front ultimately because these companies, A, I think there are a lot of political connections and who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but B, they've basically embraced the, the leftist ideology and they're not really around to make sure that Brigitte Gabriel's voice can be heard. Well, we lose followers by the tens of thousands, tens of thousands. Uh, and we are seeing that happen, especially now at a dramatic pace. Uh, but you continue on doing what you are doing. There is nothing you can do to change it. Uh, you just continue pushing. We are working with members of Congress to make sure that there is fairness in reporting and that the government will intervene to make sure uh, that we don't have a monopoly. Look, they did the same thing with Microsoft. Remember, Microsoft had a monopoly. Yeah. The government had to intervene and they said no. You cannot stop anybody else who wants to develop computers. Apple didn't have a chance if the government didn't intervene with Microsoft. So we know that there is precedent. But here is the secret this is to success. All my bells, uh, my libertarian brain, all the bells go off on that stuff, though, because I Listen, don't want the government to do it. It's like, for me, it's like 
the last resort, even though I know that this is obviously a very personal issue to me as someone that puts this up on YouTube and the rest of it. We want fairness. We're not telling them silence anybody, mm -hmm. but we are saying to them, allow people to speak their mind. You know, if I own the media platform and I do not agree with you at all in what you say, as an American, I will bite my tongue and grit my teeth and listen to what I absolutely passionately oppose. I'm not saying you, but anybody, you yeah. know, you could be saying, you know, whoever, but I will fight for your right to do it. I will not silence you because it is un-American to silence you. So as Americans, we owe it to each other, at least to defend these rights so we can, so we can pass them on to our future generations. You never really own freedom, David. We only preserve it for the future generation. And I said that statement with you before, and I actually have it going all throughout my book. These are the rights that our founding fathers gave everything and most of them died broke to give us these rights that we have today. The least we can do is preserve it for the next generation. That's all we're asking for. But you know the secret to success? Regardless of how much the, the social media puts you on Facebook jail or Twitter bans you or shadow ban you, etc. Tenacity, tenacity, tenacity. You keep on pushing, you keep on pushing, you keep on pushing and you never ever ever give up. That is the secret to success. All right, Brigitte, we've talked for about 35 minutes. We have not said the two words, Donald Trump. First off, I think we just set a record. 35 minutes of conversation without <laughs> saying Trump once. Okay, you are a Trump supporter. You're I'm a trumpeteer. Tr <laughs> a trumpeteer, okay. You're a trumpeteer. I think you've met with the president, right? Yes. Um, how does, well, what, can you tell me something about him maybe that the average person doesn't know or that you might not get through the filter of CNN or that you maybe don't even get through the filter of Twitter. He is somebody, he is a billionaire who left a life of luxury to serve the American people. He is somebody who is not doing it for power. He already had power. He's not doing it for fame. He already had fame. He's not doing it for the money. He already had money. He doesn't care, he wakes up every morning to all the insults and the hate and images of beheading by Kathy Griffith that his son can watch and be mortified that somebody actually really killed my dad. And then he remembers, I'm not doing this to please the media. I'm doing it because I'm fighting for the American people. They hate him, not because, um, they hate him because he is serving the American people. He is putting America first and they do not know how to handle him. And that's why Donald Trump is resonating with a lot of people in this country, from CEOs of companies to janitors working for $10 an hour, because from the janitor to the CEO, they know, and everybody in between, President Donald Trump is working for me. And it's a breath of fresh air because for decades now, we have had many presidents on the right and the left not many people could say, Barack Obama is working for me, or George Bush is working for me, or Clinton is working for me. But with Donald Trump, the janitor knows President Donald Trump is working for me. And that's why he's resonating with the people. So when you see the, the tweets and some of the over-the-top stuff, 
you know, every now and again, I'll watch some old clips from him in the 80s talking to Oprah or Phil Donahue, and he's, he's soft and, and seemingly, ple- you know, very pleasant <laughs> and open. And you can see the way in Q&As with audience members, I think on Donahue, he's, he's extremely human, all of these things. And it's not exactly the caricature that we get these days. Do you think that he sort of became this thing because it was the only, he basically was the, it was the only way he would have been hard enough to break through. Does that make sense? Like, I think he was probably extremely similar to the person from back then, but he became hardened because it was the only way you were gonna ever break through this. Like no one else was ever gonna break through this thing. If you listen to Donald Trump- I asked that in a very convoluted way, but I think you got the point there. If you, uh, Donald Trump today is the exact same person he was 25 years ago, when he was on Phil Donahue, when he was on Oprah. He still says the exact same words. Have you noticed? Well, the theme is the same, but he's, he's hardened now. There's like a, and I don't, I'm not even blaming him for that. I think to go through this, to go through the media machine and the establishment and all that, you, you've got to get hardened. Otherwise he, it will choke everybody out, which is what he it does. He fights to win. Before, they didn't argue with what he said. So you didn't see that side of him. Mm -hmm. He would have been just as hard back then. Mm -hmm. Today, they do not want to listen to any word he says. If he became Jesus, they would find a reason to to fight (laughs) against him. They would call him, you know, evil, hater, monster, whatever, whatever, whatever. So the reason why they call him all the names that they call him now is because he is not towing the line to them. Look, he has 90 million followers on Twitter. He goes straight around the media. He doesn't need the media. He is communicating directly with the American people and the media hates this. And he is somebody who fights. The, the breath, I love his tweets, by the way. You know, I know it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Oh my God, I cannot believe he tweeted that. You know what? We finally have a man who stands up to the bullies and punches back. Mm-hmm. We are so used to men who are wusses in this country. We have forgotten what it's like to see a real man who stands up and says, I respect myself too much to let you walk all over me or call me that or treat me that way. And if you treat me that way, I'm going to punch you back. Now stand up like a man and fight me. We forgot how a man like that looks like. And so Donald Trump is shocking the system at a time where men have been stripped out of their manhood, they, you, you know, uh, 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 the society is changing, you know, roles are changing. So in our society today, they want a man that they can walk all over. And, you know, they say, oh, we need somebody who is nice and, you know, like, like Romney or like McCain, you know, everybody loved McCain until he ran for president. Mm-hmm. Then they did the same thing to him. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved Romney until he ran for president. They did the same thing to him. I mean, if you would hear CNN talk about Romney or McCain when they were running for president, yeah. they were saying the same thing he like Trump. He was racist, he hated women, all of those things. So, the that, same so thing. I'm completely with you on that part. And that's what I mean by the, the hardening of Trump, that he almost had to be this thing because nobody else could have, they tried it the other way. They tried it with ni- you know, nicer people, so to speak. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. So no. it's like, well, this is, this is the guy you're gonna get. And he's getting things done and the American people are behind him. And he is resonating with the American people. And if his message wasn't resonating, he wouldn't have the tens of millions of followers who are following him on social media and still rooting for him. And the Donald Trump supporters dig their heel even deeper with all the attacks from the media, with even the attacks from his own party, Dave. Mm. I mean, look, you and I know there are people who hate his guts in Washington, D.C. You talk about cleaning the swamp. He is shaking everybody, the left and the right. Despite all that, 
his support, his approval rating is at an all-time high. You know, so it, it doesn't matter what people are saying to him. He is doing what is right by the American people, by America. So what are some of the policies that he's doing that, that jive with this book, like in terms of borders and stuff like that? You're, you're for building the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And here is why. I am a legal immigrant to the United States. I understand what it's like for people to want to come here. I wanted to come here so badly. I remember getting an American flag, putting it under my pillow in my bomb shelter, mm. and I couldn't wait to come to America. I learned English. I don't know if I shared with you this with you last time, writing subtitles on my arm, did I tell you? That's how I learned English. I never studied English at school. I was so determined to come to the United States that we would watch black and white uh, television operated on a car battery in our bomb shelter. Mm. And my father would watch the news. And if there was any charge of the battery left, I would watch The Love Boat on Wednesday night <laughs> and Dallas on Friday night. And, you know, we, we would have that's Arabic subtitles. That's a pretty warped subtitle. view of what America is. I know, I Dallas. know. The Love Boat in Dallas. <laughs> that, that, that's what impacted my life. And, and if two people looked into each other's eyes, and you know he said something to her and she said maybe and they would write what maybe what met on the bottom I knew that maybe meant whatever that word in Arabic and I would literally write it in ink on my arm wow. and because we barely had water to drink let alone shower we showered once a week I built a huge vocabulary on my arm that's how I learned English because I was so determined that if I ever meet an American I want to be able to be able to communicate with them in their language so I can get to the United States and when I I came to the United States, uh, I came to America by marriage. I had married an American war correspondent in Jerusalem. We came to America, we put in my papers to become an American. I flew here, I paid for my airline ticket, paid for my attorneys to do all my paperwork, paid for my doctor's visit to do all the needle poking to make sure I'm tested for this disease and that disease to make sure I'm not bringing anything to the country. And then I had to study a two-inch thick book written by the Daughters of the American Revolution about America's history and heritage and pass a written exam as well as a verbal exam in English before I became an American, about America's history. Mm -hmm. By the time I became an American, I knew more about America's history than my own American-born husband did. I am a legal immigrant. Those are the type of immigrants we need coming to America because we had a fire in our belly to be all we can be as Americans. Right now, the people who are breaking the law to get here, not because they want to come here for a better life or they are escaping persecution. Look at the caravan that's coming to the United States. Mexico offered them asylum. Mexico offered them jobs. They didn't want it. They're not there to seek jobs or asylum. The UN, they passed literally by UN centers set up specifically for those who want asylum and claiming refugee status. They didn't even stop continued coming to the United States to the border, and not even to the board, uh, port of entry, just to break the law to get here. We have to have law and order in the country. So yes, I support Donald Trump. Build the wall and make sure anybody who wants to come to the United States can go through the proper channel and earn the privilege to be an American, because it is a privilege. Because people like me who did it by the book are insulted and offended when we see criminals are allowed to come in here and have the same rights that we paid with our sweat, heart, and blood to get and worked very hard for years to become Americans. Yeah, that's so fascinating to me because they've also done plenty of studies on this where recent immigrants are actually against the caravan and against a Absolutely. lot of these people. Not because they have anything against the people, but if you did it the right way, right. if you did it the way the law lays out, 
Well, then you don't want people just just storming over, and that's that is what a nation of laws is. Right, and you know when you look at what illegal immigration is costing the United States, do you know that forty-five billion dollars a year leaves America from those illegal aliens that come here to work in the United States, the illegal criminal aliens, and they sent it to their countries of origin? That money is not staying here. They're not here to become a part of the American fabric, to contribute to American society, to grow, to become all they can be. They are here to use our system and siphon money and send it out there. Do you know that it costs the American public $200 billion a year in welfare expenses by criminal illegal aliens to the United States? Uh, Three million illegal aliens are incarcerated daily in American prisons. 30% of federal inmates in federal prisons are illegal criminal aliens. So when you look at the cost, when you add all the costs, and I can rattle in a bunch of points, but when you add it all up, $338 billion a year is the cost of illegal immigration to the United States. The cost to build the wall is nothing compared to what we're paying annually in to illegal criminal aliens, not to mention the crimes, killing our children, MS-13 gangs coming here and what they're doing to our society. We don't want any of that. What do you make of the same people who will tell you that America is an evil, patriarchal, capitalistic monster that also want open borders to apparently share in that horror with everybody else? America... Pretty, pretty flawed thinking there, wouldn't you? Uh, absolutely. America is the most incredible nation on the face of the planet. Look, you traveled the world. You're traveling on a speaking tour. I was born and raised on the other side of the world. I understand. I've seen you and I have traveled the world. I mean, from Australia to Europe. I, I mean, we've been in a lot of places, you yeah. and I. And we have seen how the other, the rest of the world lives compared to the rights that we have here. Look, our poorest of the poor who are living on welfare have dishwashers in their government-paid housing, have heating and air conditioning, have cell phones. You know, these are luxury items for, in many other places in the rest of the world. Um, even in developed countries, they are considered luxury items. This is what we give to people who are living on welfare in the United States. So those who complain about America need to open their eyes. They need to go to India, you know, to the slums of India. They need to visit the Philippines. They need to go to Vietnam. They need to go to uh, Egypt. They need to see how the rest of the world lives and then come back to America and complain. Isn't it just a, a lazy way of thinking, really? Because it's just easier to destroy than create. So it's just easier to sit here it, after all of the hard-won freedoms and tell you how horrible everything is rather than actually fix anything but burning things down is a lot easier right uh, exactly uh, exactly and they uh, and but no one's holding them accountable you see people like us and the old great generation who really fought World War II, who are the veterans who are still walking among us today, who fought, you know, in the wars, whether in Korea or in Vietnam or World War II. I mean, now they're getting older and fewer and dying. But their descendants who understand what America did to the world and the freedoms that we helped spread around the world. Look, we didn't want anything from the Japan. You know, we conquered nation and then we gave them their freedom and then rebuilt them. Who does that? We didn't go to Iraq because we wanted oil. We didn't go to Afghanistan because we wanted oil, we went there and started building schools and bridges for them to improve their lives and left and didn't take any of the oil with us. We want to improve the world and we need to fight right now those lazy American brats who are speaking ills of America, who are, do not understand America. We need to come together, organize and rise, rise together in defense of America. And that's why we need to come together and understand 
what we are facing, how we are losing our country, and this is what I get to uh, in the book. You know, I say, how did we go from the stories of George Washington and the cherry tree? I shall never tell a lie. Mm -hmm. How did we go from that generation to the Antifa thugs who were born and raised in America, went to American schools paid for by our tax dollars, who believe you can cheat, you can lie, you can steal, you can show up with machetes uh, you, uh, and, and brass knuckles, you can hit people, you can block bridges, you can destroy property, and you feel justified doing it. How did we go? in one generation and one lifetime from this to that. And that's why we need to stand up. Those of us who are in the middle, who understand America greatness, need to come together and stand up to fight to protect America while we still have a chance. So what are the other Judeo-Christian values that we need to be thinking about? We talked about free speech. What, what are the other bedrock principles that we need to fight back some of this stuff? Oh my goodness, we need to fight to protect our language. Yeah, I, I explain something very easy to you. you. We cannot lose our language. Language unites people in one nation, the English language. Right now, we are importing people from different parts of the world and we are not making them learn English. We now have public schools that have 16 different languages that are spoken in a public school and teachers who have to be trained to, to speak a certain language to children instead of saying, okay, now you came to America, you need to assimilate, you need to learn English. I know Spanish people who have been in this country, Mexican people, for over 20 years, they still cannot speak English properly or they speak very little English. That's not acceptable. That's not what made America great. We have got to enforce that English is the official language of the United States and shall remain so. We welcome people from all backgrounds. The immigrants that came to this country back, the Jews that came from all over the world, the Irish, the Catholics, the everybody, they came to the United States. They made sure their children spoke English mm -hmm. because they wanted their kids to become as American as apple pie as fast as possible to assimilate into the society. We're not seeing that right now. We, we are seeing uh, in Detroit, you call government office, you're getting in Arabic, you know, and then you push like four for English. <laughs> First you get Arabic and then you get Spanish and then you get this and this and that. That's unacceptable. And people need to understand their power. In my book, at the, at the end of every chapter, I have a section titled, Rise Up and Act. No matter what I'm talking about, I give people ideas and tips, three things you can do under 10 minutes that will make a difference for the country. And you can do them sipping your cup of coffee, in your pajamas at 7 a.m. in the morning. To give you an idea, yeah. calling your elected official. Many people say, Brigitte, what is my voice gonna count? My elected official needs to hear from 40,000 people before they do something. Wrong. I talk to elected officials all the time and I ask them, how many people do you need to hear from about a single issue to make it your top priority? You'll be shocked. How many do you think? I mean, it's gotta be so ridiculously low because nobody calls them and yeah. we all think it's 40,000, but it's probably like 50 people or something like That's that. That's it, 40 to 50 people. And here is the science behind the numbers. They believe if one person makes a phone call or writes a letter, he or she are representing 1,000 couch potatoes who <laughs> feel the same way, but are too lazy to make a phone call or write a letter, yet they vote on election day. That translates to 40 to 50,000 voters on election day. That can make or break an election. So I tell people, you can be active sitting in traffic. Look, we are in LA. How many hours people spend <laughs> sitting in traffic? Ah, I spent two and a half hours yesterday sitting in traffic, yeah. trying to go 50 miles. Yeah. Program the White House phone number. Program your elected official's phone number in your, in your uh, cell phone. When you get a text alert from us about a bill coming down for a vote, 
punch a button, click and call your elected officials or send an email. When people go to actforamerica.org, which I mentioned all throughout the book, my organization, yeah. actforamerica.org, they can click on Contact Congress. They can sign up to get our emails and action alerts. We send emails about bills coming down for a vote, the bill number, who sponsors it, what it says. We even have pre-written letters for them that they can email their elected officials. With the click of a button, it'll go to your elected official. Um, Letters to the editors, script, I give samples. In this book, the last chapter, the whole chapter is samples about activism. Samples about letters to the editor. All you have to do is add your name and send it to your newspaper. It's part of the problem that we put so much emphasis on the presidency. So it's great, you're doing local activism. You're saying, call your congressman. If you've got a problem with your exit, my exit right here where I live, I don't want to say exactly where, it's filled with garbage for the two years that I've been living here. David's been calling this guy nonstop to get the, he wants to go out there and start picking up <laughs> stuff, but it's too dangerous. But it's just, but like, nobody focuses on local anymore because we put such emphasis on the executive branch, on the cult of personality around the presidency. So it's like, by going to your local uh, congressman or congresswoman, you might actually get something done. It's a lot harder to do it the other way. Absolutely, and, and, and on the local state elected officials, you know, your local state and delegates. I may have you call the guy at the 10 exit, to 12 people, that's it. And so this is why we started Chapters Nationwide. This is why we have activists nationwide. I tell people, go to actforamerica.org, sign up as an activist, join a chapter or start a chapter if there's no chapter near you. Everything happens on a local level because those local elected officials that you develop a, a connection with and a contact go to become state elected officials, uh, then federal elected officials, attorney generals, and then state senators, congressmen. This is how we change society. And so I encourage people to get involved and become engaged. And that's exactly what this, this book is a roadmap for people on how to rise. Rise. This is why, why we titled it Rise. You know? Are you selling the book? Is that what's going on book. here? I can't they tell. Need, people need to get this book and they yeah. need to donate it to every library in their community. So when people are looking to find out information, they can find it. Read it for yourself. Donate it to a public library in your community. Get multiple copies. We want people to learn how they can be mobilized. The left understands how to mobilize. We on the right understand the issues, but do not know how to mobilize. And that's what this book teaches them. So what, what else? What else can we do? I feel like you got a couple other tricks up your sleeve. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Give me something sexy. It can't just be calling your uh, congressman. Make new friends. If find out, start a chapter, you'll get to meet great new friends in your community. If people sign up to be a chapter leader with us, we will connect them with the same group in their local community who sign up to get our emails and they say, I want to join a chapter. I want to meet people in my community like this. We connect them together. They can do local activities together. They can go out to dinners together. They can work on issues relating to their community. I have found, I have made the best friends doing my activism. That's what launched my career in activism. So. This is the type of ideas that people can do. Come together and work together. Have on a Saturday, one Saturday, uh, have a meeting, a chapter meeting once a month. Write letters to your congressman about the garbage on the side of the street. Yeah. You know, we need to clean this garbage out. This is unacceptable. Uh, protest uh, bills that are coming down. I'll give you an idea. We're accepting all these refugees coming in here. Uh, so right now we are bringing our standards down to accommodate the standards of people from third world country. To give you an example, the city of Denver in 2017 passed an ordinance that allowed people to defecate on the sidewalk. Why? Because they have a lot of illegal immigrants who feel 
no problem to just drop their pants and do it on the side of the road. But because it is a deportable crime, because that crime is punishable up to one year in jail, and if you commit such a crime, you are deported. The city of Denver has a bigger problem with illegal immigration than San Francisco and Philadelphia. Mm. So that's why they passed the ordinance. They do not want people deported. Can you imagine if you have a chapter with 30 people, all 30 people organizing together on the same issue, calling your their local state government, saying this is unacceptable acceptable and if you don't change that we're going to vote you out and replace you that's how the left does it that's how we need to do it that's a pretty clear one where you could probably escape some of the cries of racism right because nobody wants their streets filled up with poop but you know san francisco has this app that'll tell you where human poop is unbelievable and now the diseases that are spreading because of that and this is something i mentioned in the book all the rise in diseases in our country. Look, you know, you've heard right now about the Lyme disease or that disease that's now being tra transferred mm -hmm. to people because uh, in San Francisco, you've got flies basically eating the human waste and then you're walking down the street and they're biting you. So mosquitoes now are transferring these diseases that were once eliminated in the United States by simply eating human waste and then biting you with it, putting it in your body. This is exactly why about a month ago we started seeing, you know, this disease pop up People cannot explain it. Some people died. Tuberculosis, for example, is exploding yeah. in the United States. Yeah. The top four states with tuberculosis are California, over 500 cases, Florida, Texas, and New York. Uh, 16 states are now groveling with tuberculosis. It is the fastest growing disease in America right now. Hmm. They have... The state of Wisconsin alone has 116 cases of tuberculosis, and the majority of them are drug-resistant, which means it takes six months to treat a patient, and it takes six to eight months to treat them at the cost of $150,000 per patient out of our tax dollars. These are issues we need to talk about. These are issues affecting our communities, and that's what I, what I discuss in the book. So it's not only about national security per se, it's why we need to rise in defense of our culture and our freedoms and what made America great. Do you find that the people that are part of ACT are diverse politically? Because it's so, it's interesting. I mean, I've spent hours with you now and it's like, I guess you're a conservative, but you're not, you're, you're sort of my kind of conservative. Whatever, yeah, whatever, I'm a conservative who loves really you kind of, and your husband. I'm considered yeah, your friend. <laughs> right, but you're really, you're like my kind of liberal, which, which, you know, is half conservative at this point because everything is so upside down. But do you find that you get a, a real mix of uh, political views in the people that are coming to you? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Look, with our organizations, I mean, we have everybody. People that put their differences aside and came together for the safety and security of America and preserving who we are as Americans and defending our American values. Our members are Jews, Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, gays, lesbians. I mean, I've got gay chapter leaders, priests chapter leaders. Uh, we've got everybody, people like you and I and everybody else that put, you know, people may not agree on every single social issues, but people agree on a lot of things that make us Americans because we love each other as Americans, we respect each other as Americans, and we want to defend our country and the principles that made it great. And so that's why we work together. And it's like I said, it's such a shame that now people, you know, say, I never thought I would be, I, you know, I would be called a conservative or you would be called a conservative. <laughs> but you know what? As far as the left is concerned right now, you and I are conservatives. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you are a married gay man. Yeah. 
you're a conservative. Welcome to the new conservatism. And you know, this is why when Donald Trump talks about nationalism, we are a nationalist country. We are. We are standing up as a nation to fight what, to what makes America great. Patriotic America. You know, the patriotism that we have in America, they don't have in other countries of the world. Mm -hmm. You go to Australia, you don't see the Australian flag flying everywhere. Mm -hmm. You go to England, you don't see that British flag flying no, everywhere. No, I really noticed that when I was in Europe. Now that you're traveling years. worldwide, yeah. Yeah. what makes America so unique is this nationalism that brings us all together, our love for country. People go to baseball, um, to games, and we play the national anthem. You know, they don't do that in other parts of the world. They don't play the national anthem before games. We take it for granted. And now everybody's upset with the president because he's talking about American nationalism, what, what brings us together. They need to travel to Australia, go to Canada, go to Germany, attend a, 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 a football um, thing. They don't play the national anthem. It's not like the United States. That's what he was referring to. We're talking about our nationalism, what brings us together as Americans. Our Americanism. He could have used a different word, Americanism, so the word so the left would not feel offended. But that's what he was talking about. Pretty sure they would have offended either way. They would have been offended either way. I feel I should give you the chance to close this with a speech as epic as your last speech. Oh. Although you've done about five of them here in the last hour. But do you want to give me a, a closing statement that will be memeable? Footprints in history are not made sitting down. Countries cannot be saved by hashtags and tweets. We need to stand up and put some sweat equity into saving our country. But thankfully, we don't have to freeze in Valley Forge like our founding fathers in the snow, waiting to see if we still have a country the next day. What we can do right now with our activism is come together and get together at a coffee shop, uh, sipping our cappuccinos, meeting like-minded, great Americans who love America, who believe in America's exceptionalism, who believe in safe, secure border, who believe in having law and order in our country, who believe in respecting our police who believe in honoring our military, who believe in cherishing the memories and, 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 and acknowledging the freedom that we have and the sacrifices that our military have paid to give us the freedoms that we have today. You know, when we visit other countries, and you have visited France, and you go to Normandy, and you see the graves of Americans in Normandy, you sit back and you know that these American brave soldiers left their home and went overseas laying their life on the line to fight for freedom and for justice and for the American values. If you don't want to call them Judeo-Christian values, American values. So the rest of the world can experience the freedom that we have. The previous generation was willing to cross oceans and go die over there to protect the same freedoms that we have here at home and give them to other people. The least we can do is activate here in our home in the United States of America and come together and stand together and face those naysayers and those who slap labels on us. At least they're not shooting bullets at us. All, they, all they're saying is, oh, he's a racist or she's a racist or she's a white supremacist. <laughs> But we can come together to save our country together. And that's the beauty. It's people like you and I coming together and looking into each other's eyes and really being so excited to see each other again and yeah. be together again as Americans, as different as we are. 
but we come together and we love each other and respect what each other does to save this country and that's what America is all about. I encourage people to rise, rise in defense of Judeo-Christian values and freedom. Get the book, read it, share it with their friends, get multiple copies, put them in public libraries we need to educate and go to actforamerica.org. And by the way, we named the organization Act for America. Now think about America, now wish for America, now pray for America. You can do all that, but without acting, nothing happens. You are the real deal, Brigitte. And, uh, Thank you, you, my friend. I love you. If you are the racist bigot of the day, then I will gladly be thrown in that bucket with you. Uh, you in case people don't know, guys, uh, the link to Rise is right <laughs> down below and buy it and put it in libraries and all that good Please stuff. Please help us. <laughs> and for more on Brigitte, you can follow her on Twitter. It's at Brigitte.